Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, you know, the show goes on, right? No matter what. At least you try to keep your commitments. And um, we definitely have a commitment to the fans. They're committed to us. We're committed to them. So my my mother-in-law passed away, and uh, we had the burial today, my wife's mother. And so I'm up in Catskill, where it all started for me in the boxing world uh, many years ago. And that's where Elaine's family lived. That's where I met her when we, before we got married, and then led to us getting married. And uh, she was the patriarch of the family. Her mother, strong woman, good woman, 87, God bless her. She, she was very sick at the end, so as they say, she's free now. She's suffering, and the only reason I'm saying this is to explain to the people why I am not in one of those shirts that Ken Rideout is in, which I would rather be in because they're more comfortable. Um, but I I was I had to be in a suit and tie today, came right from the... Uh, Right from the burial to this, as I said, we keep our commitments. And uh, we're here at the restaurant, uh, Anthony's Catering Hall restaurant. With, uh, my wife's cousin, Anthony uh, Jersey, has a nice place right off. Anybody's ever getting off the throughway, exit 21, New York throughway, go to Catskill. You get off the throughway, you make a right, and there it is, Anthony's. Good restaurant, good food, good drink, good people. He's nice enough to let me come upstairs while everybody is downstairs having a repass. Like I said, I did not bring a change of clothes. When we're done, we're going to go back to New York City. Uh, I'll give you a little quick thoughts on my mother-in-law since I had to bring it up because to explain Obviously, the attire, that's not the usual for doing our podcast. But she came here when she was, she came here when she was young uh, from a communist country, Albania. They had to escape. She came as an immigrant, as our country is made of immigrants. And she came over here. Uh, and then... My husband and two of them, they had nothing except a will to work and to take care of their family. And they did, and she did. And uh, she was a, a strong woman, but not too strong where she wasn't able to show her love and care for everybody. Well, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, her children, and um, like I said, she escaped the communist country very hard, difficult times. Her husband's entire family was murdered by the communists because they did not follow the party line. And he was an orphan, uh, taken care of by people in the, in the neighborhood from house to house. Then later on, they came over here, they met. And uh, like I said, they... Came with nothing, but they left us with a lot, with a, a beautiful family, and one of them that I was lucky enough to marry. 
and aunts, two beautiful children, and now four beautiful grandchildren. Uh, the last thing I say is it was a beautiful ceremony. It was a beautiful send-off uh, for, for such things. And my daughter did the eulogy, and she did a magnificent, beyond, I, it's just a magnificent job. Nothing but dignity, class. Uh, she was elegant, well-spoken. She chose her words perfectly. The best thing I can say is, and I think this is what a eulogy is supposed to give somebody, that if you had come into that church not knowing Mara Touche, my mother-in-law's name, you left there knowing her, as though you met her, as though you understood her, and you understood what she was about. My daughter gave a word picture of her life. And for me, that's what a eulogy should do, is it should let the people that don't know the deceased, let them leave there knowing feeling that they know that person and know who they want and what they want. And that's, I was very proud of my daughter, Nicole. That's what she did. And proud of my, all my children, my grandchildren. My son was the producer over here today. He set this up. You know me. I have to have a producer. I am uh, compromised, technology compromised. Everybody, I think, knows that. Me and the internet are not kissing cousins, but... He got me set up. Rob is always behind the wheel there. And the great Ken Rideout, who is a bigger star than I ever dreamed of being um, in Boston. I, all I know is people said, Ken's all over TV. He's all over TV. Ted, I had fans coming up to me. I was upstairs. He was in a good seat. I was upstairs with the UFC people, uh, with the ESPN people doing the uh, filming and doing the pre-fight, post-fight stuff for ESPN. I was with great people, Chael Sonnen and, and um, Michael Chiazzi. Am I pronouncing his name right? I hope so. Chiesa. Chiesa and um, Megan O'Leary. And, uh, well, I talked to Megan Cageside. She said, oh, my God, I love Teddy. I said, well, I know he loves you, too. He speaks highly of you on the show all the time. Uh, I was with all those good people know what the hell they're doing. And then I got none but Texas uh, telling me, Teddy, Ken's sitting ringside. How come you're way up in the <laughs> in the nosebleeds? Everything all right? What happened? What happened, Ted? You used to, you know, have a little juice around here. We, Ken, Ken's at ringside. Where are you? I literally, without even making a joke, when I had to go to the bathroom, fans were coming up to me, gracious, saying hello, and always makes you feel very grateful that somebody cares enough to say hello and they're all coming up to me and say i just saw ken he's at ringside he's down there <laughs> ted he's down there i said listen don't rub it in don't rub it in <laughs> well, i know where i know where he is my son told me he said he saw him <laughs> with johnny damon hanging out and the best thing about it that i'm happy for you listen I guess it was something good that came out of you meeting me. Before I die, at least I know that I <laughs> I, I did a little something. I, I gave Ken Ryder uh, a little happiness, uh, a few extra friends. 
But more importantly, I gave his son, and he's got three beautiful sons and a beautiful daughter. He's got a beautiful family. But I gave one of his sons, who's a jujitsu maniac right now, if he stays that way, he'll be a champion. But either way, he'll be a champion of life because of the parents he has. But that makes me happy to see that kid. Was he eight years old, seven years old? Seven, right? Uh, he just eight. turned eight in July. All right. So he's eight years old. To see him with his Boston Celtic big green top hat, uh, <laughs> you know, doing the O'Malley thing, and to see in Boston, of course, to see him down there sitting with his father, so excited. You know what? That's worth everything in the world. And it, it well, really you is. set this up perfectly because I just have to say thank you to Teddy. Obviously, without this show as a platform, no one knows if I'm even alive. But because of this, we've had the pl pleasure of interviewing guys like Dana White. And when Dana saw me in Nashville, I told him that you were training my son in boxing. And he said, I want you and your son to come to Boston and sit with us. And I just have to tell you what he did. I mean, well, first of all, before you go any further, and I'll let you go. But Dana White's a class guy. I don't give a freak if you like him or you don't like him. I just know him for the way I know. He's a class guy, yeah. and he's he's a tough guy. He he stands by his guns. He makes you know, my my son friends would say, uh, you know, he gives he gives no apps. Um, yep. You know, for apologies, he he lives the way he lives. Um, I think he's a good man. I think he's built a hell of a brand with the Freitas brothers. Um, I know there's people that would differ. There's always people that will differ. They differ. <laughs> <laughs> they're different about Teddy Atlas too. I get it. But I know him as a good, decent, compassionate guy. Um, yeah, I know he runs a billion dollar business. I know that's six billion. Yeah, billions of dollars. I get it. He's like a football NFL franchise now. Um, but I I can only speak for the way I know him and the people around him. Uh that he cares about the right things. Uh, yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah, there's that side to him. I get it. I get it. But I don't care. Um, he sticks by his friends. He's loyal. Uh, he sticks by his guns. And you know what? He came from that city of Boston. You know, he didn't have a lot. And he built himself up into a pretty good position for him and his family. And again, for the uh, a brand that is as hot a brand, as big a brand, as successful a brand as you're ever going to find. Uh, around so anyway I'm, I'm glad that he that he came through for you the way I have no doubt that he would because he said he would well it's a reflection of uh, his his respect for you as well because he, he he has said to me like when I saw him in Nashville he's like I effing love that guy Teddy he's an effing legend you know he's an effing legend I said yeah I know I work with him every week I love it so just to summarize, uh, Cameron and I flew up Saturday morning. Cameron was over the moon. Uh, the whole flight, are you sure Teddy's going to meet us for lunch? Are you sure, Teddy? So we had lunch with Teddy. Then, Teddy, you gave him a boxing lesson in your um, in your hotel room with the best view in Boston on the penthouse floor of the Marriott. It was awesome. The kid was on cloud nine. But I can tell you, I've been to a lot of sporting events. I've been to Wimbledon. I've been to the Monte Carlo Grand Prix. Football, you name it, I've been there. And I don't say that to brag. I say it because this was the greatest event of my life. To be there with my eight-year-old son and watch his eyes bugging out. And when I was his age, if we went to nosebleed seats at a regular season Bruins game, it would have been earth-shattering. 
Not only were we ringside, we were in the front row of the VIP section. I mean, Joe Mazzula from the Celtics was sitting behind us. And halfway through the show, Dana comes over and says to Cameron, Cameron, he had a big leprechaun hat on and his Celtics jersey. And he's, Dana said, Cameron, where's your phone? Of course, my kids don't have phones because I don't let them on social media. And I said, oh, no, here's his phone. I handed him my phone. Dana said, come with me. This is in the middle of the main card in between fights. Brings Cameron over makes him get up into the cage by himself, standing there with his hands up like he's getting ready to fight. Then he brings him down, interrupts the broadcast, and takes a picture of Cameron with DC, then with Joe Rogan. Then he brings him over to Bruce Buffer, who's holding his hand up like he just won the title. And then he takes a picture with the ring card girls. And he said, how was that? I said, oh my God, you would think the kid's like on Make-A-Wish or something. And I said, there's one person though, one person that he wants to meet. He's like, who? I said, Joe Mazzula, the Celtics coach. He loves the Celtics. He goes right over, gets Mazzula. Joe, come down here. Joe Mazzula comes down, takes a picture of them. Cameron was just on cloud nine. Then Johnny Damon comes over, takes a picture. Mickey Ward, the great Mickey Ward. And then Johnny Damon, after he takes a picture, I said, oh, can we look at your, can you show us the World Series ring? He doesn't show it to us on his hand. He takes it off and hands it to me and turns back around, sits in his seat. He goes, yeah, do what you, do you got to do. Take your pictures, whatever. So me and Cameron are trying on the World Series ring, just like, a dream come true. And then when the fight ended, there were a bunch of guys behind us, young guys, the Nelk boys. They have a podcast and, a, and, and they're just like young guys, like aggressive young guys. When O'Malley won Teddy, it was like the place erupted, beer and booze flying. At, at one point, I thought we were about to get trampled. It happened real quick, but I picked up Cameron like he was a loaf of bread and we bolted and got to the side and the security was running over to get us because it was like the chairs were collapsing and people were coming down on top of us. And the um, one of the security guys says, uh, oh man, you're going to get dad of the year. He's like, you got him out of there like he was the president about to be assassinated. I was like, yeah, I wanted to save both of us. They were, those kids were going crazy. But what an awesome some experience just everything the whole thing i'm like it, it, it words can't describe how much fun we had and then people seeing us on tv it was just that was like a dream come true you pray when you're thinking about having a family that you can have your kids there and do those things probably like when you had your kids when you won the heavyweight title with michael mora to have the kids ringside is just it's so much more important than doing the stuff yourself so what an awesome experience. So thank you to you. Thank you to Dana White. And one more thing, I um another guy walked by and I didn't I, I didn't recognize his name. Obviously, I know who Hunter Campbell is, but I didn't recognize him and he walked by and just coincidentally had on like really fancy clothes. Like he looked sharp. And I just said to him as he walked by, I go, Hey, great shoes, man. You look everyone else had on sneakers. I go, That's a great outfit. And he's like, Oh, thanks, man. I'm Hunter, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm Ken. I, I do the show with Teddy. And he's like, Here's my card. My cell number's on there. Text me if you need anything. I love the show. You guys are killing it. We're big fans. Couldn't have been nicer. Just couldn't have been nicer. Who, who and then he came over. Who, who Hunter that? Campbell. Hunter Campbell, one of the matchmakers. And then he uh, oh, came yeah. over to Cameron. He said, talk. yeah, he said to Cameron, Cameron, when, you, when you're ready to fight in the UFC, I'm making your first fight. I said, okay, do me a favor. Make it a, make it a good one. Like, we got to get him a win to start. And he started laughing. He said, there's no easy touches in the UFC. I said, okay, good. Staying on brand. I love it. But what an awesome experience. No, that's that's a lifetime experience. Lifetime. And all the fans, every everywhere we went, can't love the show. Where's Teddy? Every this happens everywhere. I go, Where's Teddy? Where's Teddy? I'm like, he's working. I took over for him. I'm Teddy now. I took <laughs> over for him. I'm the nah. man. I'm the man. You gotta nah. come see me. We're a team. You know, no, that's beautiful.
makes me happy. And uh, I'll tell you, everywhere, dead serious, without slapping ourselves like silliness, like silly guys on the back. But everywhere I went, people were like, love the podcast, love, you know, but this time, like, I'm not joking. They were like, we just saw Ken, but he's down <laughs> ringside. He's at ringside. He's at Teddy. He's at ring. I get it. I get it. But everybody, everyone was like, loved the show, loved the show. So we love you. We love you. And the last thing I'd say is that, you know, because obviously why I'm up here, um, I just want to say that, you know, you, you, you leave something like a, obviously the passing of, somebody in your family or somebody in your life, anybody, and you leave and you're sitting there listening to the eulogy for my daughter and the priest talk and everybody. And it makes you, sometimes, I don't know, we all need a reminder. All I can say is love the ones that are in your life today because you don't know if they'll be here tomorrow. You just, you just don't. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm not giving you any, you know, anything that people can't figure out on their own, but we could all use a reminder of that sometimes. We get so caught up, you know, in doing what we're doing and rushing to the next whatever. But take time to tell the people in your life that are important to you that you love them because you might not get a chance when you think you're going to get a chance at your time. Because, you know, life doesn't always go around your time. It goes around it it goes around its time. And um so, you know, don't do something tomorrow you can do today. Like just be, tell somebody that you care about that, hey, I love you. All right, let's do some fights, baby. One, one more funny story before we go. A, friend, a guy came over to me. We were in the restaurant, me and Cameron at the garden, uh, Narco Dolan, a uh, big fan of the show. And he's like, hey, I love the show. Can I take a picture? I'm like, oh, I'm always so flattered. I'm like, take a picture. Like, I'll give you $20 to take a picture with me. Like, are you crazy? Of course. So Cameron's standing there, and, and he's with this other tall guy. And the tall guy has a hat. It says Tulsa. I said, oh, you live in Tulsa, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, I just moved there. I used to live in L.A. He's like, actually, when I lived in L.A., I had a rap group. Um, it was called House of Pain. We had a song called uh, Jump Around. I'm like, what? It was like, you know, that was a, like a mega hit. I go, you had, you had a rap group. I'm like, yeah, that was like a best-selling song ever. He's like, yeah, yeah. I go, I can't believe you want a picture with me. I'm like, Cameron, take a picture of me and this guy. He's super famous. So it was pretty funny. But he was, they were both like, Dan, um, Narco and um, Danny O'Connor were both like, man, we love the show. We love Teddy. It's like so great. Um, but let's get into the fighting. Let's jump into it. Um, starting with the undercut. Uh, Teddy, we had um, Cheeto Vera in with um, Pedro Munoz. Uh, Cheeto Vera, really good fight. I mean, this was a striking contest. I don't even know that anyone went for a takedown. Uh, Cheeto Vera gets the unanimous decision, which is crazy to see him getting a tight decision uh, on the main card after what he did to Sean O'Malley and then what Sean O'Malley did to Sterling. So it was just a crazy... Because um... it wasn't tight, was it? No, nah, it wasn't. It wasn't really tight, but I expected Vera no, to but, blast but, but, him but, out no, of there. No, no, to your point, the reason I jumped on that, I think they had, they had, what, every round maybe? Um, some of them? 30-27 for two and 29-28 for the third judge. The, the, yeah, so I'm glad I jumped on that. I'll tell you why. Yeah. Not just to clarify that. But the, 
there were, again, there were some people complaining about the judging. You know, it's not just boxing. They were saying, hey, they, you know, fine, give it to Vera. I thought Vera won, but come on, give it, you're giving it to him all three rounds? Like, you know, there were people that were very upset with those scores. I thought it was tight at cage side, and I think maybe the reason I thought it was because I expected Vera to destroy him, and the guy had was, like, tough as nails, like everyone in the UFC, but maybe that biased me. But, yeah, I'm with you. I was like, man, this is so, this knows, fight is tighter it, than I thought. He's been around. I mean, he's he's no, you know, he's no chop little. I mean, come on. But um, but to that point, 20, 20 and seven coming in, so that's a pretty good record. Oh come on, this guy's a monster. They, a lot of people, they all are, but a lot of guys text me and said, "Teddy, thirty twenties, come on, you got yeah. you know." Oh, I figured I better, I, I should say something. As far as the fight. We got to touch on it because, first of all, he figures to probably be the first defense for O'Malley now because he's the only guy that's got a win over him with the leg injury. So, yeah. um, we should stress that yes, he had a leg injury because Cheeto kicked the crap out well, of him. No, no, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah. He got drop foot or whatever, but it's significant yeah. to talk about this fight and to Vera because, you know, he's he's right in there where. Obviously, he's in the middle of the highway, the middle of the traffic now where he may get the first title shot at the new champ, O'Malley. And, you know, you got guys like Sanhagen who beat Vera a couple fights ago. He's going to be making noise, right? Vera, as I said, has a win over O'Malley. Um, but, you know, he hurt his leg. Um, the UFC wants to make that fight. Then you got... David Shelley, um, he's number one, you know. I mean, it's it's nothing but murderer's row over there. Uh, and Marab and, took uh, O'Malley's jacket and still has his leather jacket, so I'd be surprised if he doesn't get the first defense, but I could see them making the Cheeto yeah. fight to give O'Malley the chance to avenge that oh, one loss. Oh, yeah, I think so. And David Shelley is, you know, he's going to argue he should get the shot, of course. He's, and, then, um, and then you got unfinished business with Peter Yan. You know, some people thought that Jan won that fight. So, you know, it was very close. But as far as this fight goes, tactical fight, Vera looked very good in the last round, I thought, with uh, Munoz. For me, that was really the separating round where he was very accurate, striking, nice combinations. You know, he's got long arms, and um, he doesn't always fully extend them. But when he fully extends them, Especially his jab, he's, he's very difficult, and he kicks well, you know, and he doesn't waste anything. So, you know, I think that covers that fight. I want to keep moving, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how it pans out if he, I guess he gets the first shot. And again, I think it was Rogan who said that, Rogan or DC, that said that that, that division is all murderers row. And, you know, oh, yeah. it, it pretty much is. So they can all make an argument that they not only deserve a shot, but they're qualified for a shot and have a shot to, you know, to beat anybody. So take us to the next one there, kid. 
Yep, before we get to the next fight today, I just want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. Please go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas to take advantage of a special offer for our guests, our listeners, sorry. Um, 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. If you watch the show, you know these guys have been with us from the beginning. We um, we take our partnerships seriously. We only represent brands and products that we actually use. I'm a power user of AG1. I take it every single day. Those travel packs become invaluable when you're on the road i know you probably have them with you in the cat skills right now teddy but uh, athletic greens is made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients take this instead of a multivitamin every day there's nothing better than getting your vitamins directly from uh direct whole food sources and that's exactly what athletic greens offers mix it with a scoop of water in the morning boom you got all your bases covered for a health for your health and your immunity athleticgreens.com slash atlas let's talk about ian gary the irish sensation very much trying to emulate the um roadmap laid down by um the great conor mcgregor and uh he was in tough with neil magny i think neil took the fight on short notice neil magny is as tough as they come when it comes to ufc i, I hesitate to say gatekeepers but ufc stalwarts and ian gary beat the breaks off him. I mean, he won. The scorecards were outrageous. I've never seen this. 30-26 on two scorecards and 30-24 on the third. Basically 10-8 round every single round. I mean, he just humiliated him at times. I think that Gary took the um, brashness and arrogance. There was some bad blood there. There was some bad blood. It was beyond the the realm. But it seemed like fabricated on Gary's part. I don't know that Neil Magny did anything egregious. He said he gave his kid a spanking. Didn't he say something about Magny, the the kind of person he was or what he did somewhere in his life? Magny said he gave his kids a spanking or a beating or something. That's how he disciplined his kids. And Gary went on and ran with that. You know, I'm sure Neil Neil Magny wasn't bragging about beating his kids literally. But but Gary made it an issue. And uh, my God, he... He destroyed him. I mean, it was it was hard to watch, actually. I mean, he was just beating the crap out of him. And Magny was just trying to survive. And uh, it's unfortunate when it gets to that point. But nevertheless, big win for Ian Gary. Um, like I said, I think he took the arrogance and the confidence a little far in this one. I think he could have done a little more to ingratiate himself to the fans. But... Um, yeah, and and after he won, he was giving Magny the middle finger. And <laughs> my son said to me, Dad, that guy's a soul... He, my, my son said, Dad, that guy's a sore winner. I don't understand. He beat the crap out of the guy. Why do you have to he, uh, embarrass him afterwards by giving the finger? It's an eight-year-old <laughs> sometimes that makes sense of, uh, of things that sometimes older people can't figure out themselves. An eight-year-old yep. figure it out. Listen, in boxing, we take someone's legs away by going to the body. And uh, as I always used to say, to take the air out of the tires, right? In the MMA, they use kicks to slash the tires. And that's exactly what Gary did. You know, he basically took the tires off the car and left it on the side of the road <laughs> uh, on cinder blocks. I mean, that's, I mean, that, I think that describes it pretty pretty well. Gary looked very impressive. Um, you know, neon talents, as I talk about, he's got them. Striking, kicking, explosive, confident, nasty, junkyard dog sort of attitude. Um, only question is, maybe, how good is he on the ground for me moving forward? Uh, he didn't follow to the ground to finish, you know, to finish Magni. Um, smart. 
because he knew his strength. So he stayed, you know, he stayed to them by staying on his feet in his environment, his geography. You know, Clint Eastwood used to always say, Dirty, Dirty Harry, uh, a man must know his limitations. Very important. So Gary understood that, I guess. Um, somewhere along the line, he will be tested on the, on the floor. He's an elite talent. Uh, he showed, you know, he showed that. Magny showed great heart. I got to give him credit for that. Uh, you know, Gary put on a display, really put a real display of his skills and talent uh, for everybody to see, as you said, you know, to put his hat in the ring, to be uh, to follow in the footsteps of a Conor McGregor. Although we already know who's in those footsteps. It's a guy named O'Malley. He's the heir to the oh, throne. Yeah. He's the oh, heir yeah. to the throne. But that covers that fight. And then I guess we got one more we're going to touch on before the main. Yep. The, in the co-main, Weili Zhang and Amanda Lemos. And much like the Ian Gary fight, this was an absolute one-sided destruction of yeah. uh, Lemos. I was surprised at how one-sided it was. I mean, Weili is good, but gives you a newfound respect for anyone that has a win over Weili Zhang because, my God, Who's she better just... Than okay, let me interrupt you, really, and then you go on. Who could... I know we got... I know we got the GOAT, you know, um, in, in Luna, um, Amanda, right? I get yeah, it. Amanda Nunez, yep. Yeah, but really, right now, who's better than who's better than Wiley? When when you saw the other night, I'd like to know. I'd like to know. I'd like to be educated. I don't know what um Rose Namajunas is up to, but she has two wins in a row over one by knockout over Wiley. So it just gives no, I you. Know a she super. I get it. Yeah, I I get it. But she lost after that, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, she lost. Yep. But but yeah, Rose. But listen, I know Rose has a knockout over, two wins over, definitely a knockout devastating over Wiley. Um, but I'm telling you, that Wiley that, that we watched, wow. That's all I can say. Wow. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's better than her, you know, you, gotta, you, you better get her up to the streets when they come. not only not only did she just beat her up but she when you're watching at least from cage side all i could think was like damn that's that that's like terrence crawford in there that's a junkyard dog she was vicious she was mean couldn't have been nicer after the fight but when she's in there plying her craft my god just hitting her from every angle kneeing her in the back just totally smashing her every chance it was vicious oh it was hey it was Wiley is a terminator. <laughs> She's a machine. I mean, really, um, she probably bleeds oil. I mean, <laughs> the way she looked, man, oh, man, first round, uh, you know, she just, you know, wow. Vicious floor chess. Wiley, you know, went to the floor. Not just vicious, and it was, but so she's so strong but also so so smart ken and technically solid limos took such a terrible beating incredibly tough we got to say that for limos i mean just incredibly tough that's a good point that's a good point the fact that she was able to stay withstand that but teddy what do you think about who would have thought it was going to go five rounds when you saw that first round no no let me ask you this 
I feel like this doesn't happen enough where, the, I mean, everyone's got a fighting, a punching chance, I guess. But I mean, after the third round, even after the second round, I'm like, man, I wonder if the corner is considering like, listen, do you think maybe we regroup? Uh, like, because at a, some point you're like, we're just getting smashed. They deserve every cent that they get. When you see a beatdown, destru destruction that way, uh, for me, anyone who gets in that octagon, gets in that ring, whatever they can get, they deserve, They can't get paid too much. They deserve whatever they get. Only way that Wiley really could lose as that fight was going on, and I tweeted this with my great tweeting team, was if she made a mistake. And you know what? She almost did. She Lemos got her in, I think it was a guillotine. You probably know better than me. But got her into, like, a, a, one of those grips that most people don't get out of. One of those holes. It looked like a guillotine. And um, really, Lemos might have actually submitted someone else. I That that night, with that hold that she had on her, I think she would have submitted a lot of people, but not Wiley, not Determinator, because Wiley refused to tap, refused to submit, um, for me, she's like Volkanovski in that way. She, she'd have to be put to sleep, you know, like a knockout, like she was with Rose. But um, if she's got to say about it, she, you know, she's arguing with you to her, you know, to she's put to sleep. Um, yeah. She does not submit. And she got out of it. And also there was one other time later in the fight again, she almost made a mistake. That's why you never know. You know, it's like Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. Even in a fight like that, it ain't over till it's over. You never know. One mistake and bang, things change. But um, again, it shows how how tough Lemos, uh, is it Lemos or Lemos? Uh, Lemos. How tough Lemos is that after all that punishment, she was still able to have a couple moments where she gave herself a chance to possibly win. Um, yep. Even even one round when they were striking, I forget what round it was, but Lemos was trying to time Wiley with perfect shots. I I, I give I got to give her a lot a lot a lot of love uh, for her toughness and not just surviving but still trying to win. But again, Wiley just a machine like destructive performance uh, and. And again, Lemo's so so gay, but it was it really was a display of a just a dominant dominant performance and tremendous just tremendous physical strength and skills by Wiley. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, main event uh, seems to be what everyone was waiting for. The crowd was uh, so partisan for uh, Sean O'Malley, which is kind of strange because he's from Montana and um, and Sterling is just down the street in Long Island. Not that there's any love lost between Boston and New York, but uh, my God, the fans were like, they were vicious towards Sterling and they were on the O'Malley they free They love train. that green hair, baby. Yeah. Love that green <laughs> hair. You go to the garden with green hair, you're in. You're, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't. Sterling had the green hair, and they were ready to run him out of town. O'Malley had no, the no, pink no. hair. Well, the, O'Malley had some green, too. Green and orange, I guess. Um, what color was O'Malley? So green pink. and orange. Pink? All right. 
I thought yeah. he had the obvious <laughs> colors, but but no, he has uh, been Sterling all, had his hair was green. Yeah, well, Sterling was trying to do what uh, Rod, what Floyd Mayweather used to do when he got in the ring with the Mexican fighters. Yeah, you know, dress like the yeah. Mexican. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 and then be the Mexican assassin and drive the yep. Mexican people and fans, beautiful fans, drive them absolutely insane. But um, especially when he beat their fighters. But no, but no, you're right. Sterling had the green. He was playing that thing. Uh, he knew what he was doing. But O'Malley, o- O'Malley, he, he's won the green before. He's had the green yep. hair before. He's got the orange hair. He's got all different kinds of hair. I think he's had Irish colors in his hair before. I'm not sure. but um, Yeah, because the fans, there were a lot of fans with uh, green wigs on. Yeah, so, so they came anticipating or backing that guy that he might bring out the green. But either way, he's a promoter's delight. He knows how to put fannies. Look, he's got the talent. That comes first. But he knows how to put fannies in his seats. Yeah, and it was uh, it only went two rounds, but um, or a round and a half. But the first round, I thought that um, Sterling was very tentative. O'Malley was kind of walking him down. They both yeah. walked. Yeah, but O'Malley at least seemed to be like walking him down. Oh, uh, Sterling was no, backing no, up no. a little. I think O'Malley was backing up more to be honest. I but he was looking to just move around, be fluid, get into his rhythm. I think and get a feel for it, and later on for you know sort of sort of doing what generals in a war would do. Send their scout team out and take a look at the terrain. Yeah. You know, see where the weak spots are. See where the gullies are. See where the opportunities for to set a trap to you know to get the upper hand on your enemy. I thought O'Malley was doing that. I didn't think he was being I didn't think he was backing up Sterling. I thought if anyone was backing up, especially towards the end, I thought Sterling was starting to back up O'Malley when he made that that um run for the takedown. As a matter of fact, I'll explain it more later. I'll let you finish. But I thought that was the beginning of his demise. Now, I know I got people's attention um, saying, what are you talking about, Teddy? The first round was a nothing round. It was a throwout round. You could have gave it to the referee. I give it to, uh, I think you give it to Sterling because he got aggressive at the end. He, he made the attempt. He got in close. He made the attempt for the takedown. So he stole that round at the end. But up to then, it was a throwaway round. Like I said, you could have gave it to the referee. It was a boring round. Um, you know, uh, nothing, nothing was happening except there was something happening. And I'm going to explain that further after you do what you want to do. But um, there, there was something that was happening that I thought led in that first round. A nothing round that you think you saw nothing. And I think I saw something that, for me, was going to lead to the demise in the next round or shortly after of Sterling. But go ahead, Ken. Yeah, no, I was just saying the final sequence was interesting. Uh, he, O'Malley was had like perfect posture, stepped back as um, 
as Sterling reached in. I think he threw maybe a left hand and, and O'Malley stepped back and shot a right hand right over it. And it's funny, if you see it in slow motion, you can see that Sterling sees the punch come and closes his eyes, but it's too late and the punch just puts him down. He wasn't out, but it was the beginning of the end and then O'Malley just swarmed him on the ground. Great finisher, put him away and uh, to say the place went crazy would be an understatement. I referenced earlier, Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry movies. Clint Eastwood in the Dirty Harry movies, the weapon of choice was a 357 Magnum. The weapon of choice for O'Malley is a counterpunch. That's what he does. That's his calling card. That's going to get him to the mountaintop, you know, and has gotten him to this mountaintop. There's still more mountains to climb. But it's gotten him there. It's his counterpunch. And it was an electric atmosphere, as you said. Uh, matter of fact, I tweeted, again, with my crew, the best. I tweeted that there's gun smoke in the air. And it has the big fight feel. You felt that. Didn't you can that big fight feel there? You don't always feel it. Oh, but yeah. No, it was electric. The intros, the ring walks were crazy. It was the, the people were going mental. I mean, they were really on the O'Malley train. I picked O'Malley. All my guys who I always give the proper kudos to, uh, who I work with, all the MMA experts who really, truly know this stuff, you know. Um, they're, they're, allowing me to, they're allowing me to visit, and I appreciate them, that they allow this boxing you know, primate um, to come into their elite circle and do these fights with them. I really appreciate it because they're experts in MMA. But um, all of them who truly do know this stuff, they all pick Sterling. And and as Charles Sonnen said, well, I have a lot of, well, I just like him. Uh, I have a lot of admiration for him, for the fighter he was, promoter he was, how smart he is, the commentator he is how articulate he is, and and for the man that he is, the father he is. I happen to seen him a few times interacting with his young son, who he's grooming to be a future Olympic wrestling champ. But uh, just like you're grooming your kid to be a future UFC champion, jiu-jitsu expert. But Charles said after the fight, they all picked, I was the only one out of that crew you know, that did the pre-fight and post-fight that picked. Um, sometimes it's good not to know too much, but I was the only one who picked O'Malley to win. And Chael said afterwards, and I understand it, he said it was a smart pick and I would make it again because it, it did make sense, except it did uh, in the way I looked at it, in the way that if you believe in magic, there was magic in the air. And it was going to happen. I know that's not something to make a pick on. It's supposed to make it on more solid grounds. You know, obviously on things that are a little bit more trustworthy than just your gut um, or magic in the air. Um, you know, things that are a little more solid than that. But sometimes that's what it is. It is your gut. It is the magic in the air. It, it was all set up for this guy, for the throne, really the baton to be passed from McGregor to him as the next pay-per-view king. And I, 
I don't know the science and the workings of the mat. I know everything about striking, but I don't know the workings of the mat as they do. I know striking, as I said, of course, and I know the mental aspect of this game. But, and of course, I, I knew like everyone else can, that if Sterling took him to the mat, it could be over real quick. But I'll tell you what I based my pick on. It wasn't just my cut. But what I based my prediction on was that I thought that O'Malley could survive Sterling's takedown tries, but that Sterling could not survive O'Malley's counterpunching. That's what I that's that's I took a gamble on that. That was it. A couple of my son's friends, Anthony D'Angelo, who does a great job in his business with Lionheart um, investment business. He took a little play with my bookie. He took a little play, you know, on my word. My son passed it on to him uh, on O'Malley by KO. And he did pretty good. Did pretty good. I'm waiting for him to not give me my share. I don't get shares. But maybe bring me a cappuccino. Bring me a cappuccino. All right? Maybe, you know, I like cappuccinos. But... I broke it down on ESPN the day before, and I thought I did it pretty well. Uh, you cannot just coldly attack or have naked aggression versus a great counterpunch. You just can't. You can't. Not in my world. And you have to be cautiously aggressive. And you got to be smart with a proper, obviously a proper game plan, um, but a proper technique. For me, you got to faint. You gotta, if you got a guy who's kind of punch, you got to faint. A guy like O'Malley with his timing, his athleticism, his ability to create on the spot, to make his own music, the way that Adesanya does. Yeah, I even compared him to Adesanya a little bit. Uh, the way that Roy Jones Jr. used to do in boxing, just make wrong things right. Drop his hands, all things you're not supposed to do. Pull back, straight, all those things. Those guys, they have the reflexes, the just the the timing, confidence, the the special ability, the eyes to make wrong right, to to make their own music, just make it up as they do it. And I saw that, and you know, I thought I did. And O'Malley. So if you're fighting him, you can't come in naked, straight, just be aggressive. You gotta you gotta faint, get him to make his moves prematurely, get him to get out in space, get out of position, throw his timing off, throw his rhythm off, throw his traps off, try to set a trap, faint him that you're coming in. So he, he pulls the trap too soon. You know, and you gotta use a jab, a jab to the chest, even if it's not to the head, because the head you might miss. And leave yourself open. So the chest, just so you make contact. Just so you stabilize him a little bit on the outside. You know, and you don't get out of position. And you don't let him get in the position he wants. So otherwise, you're just going to go, you're going to walk into the source grinder when, with a counterpuncher like that. You really are. Floyd, May, uh, Floyd Mayweather was that way too. So Conor McGregor, when he had that window of greatness, you know, when he was, you know, we, we, he's a genius promoter. But he was, he was so good. 
you have to be good too. And he was so talented. But when he had that window that he had, where he was so magnificent, Conor McGregor, and he was making his bones, his style, it was all about his style. His pure counter-punching versus an aggressive striker who would be overly aggressive. That, that, that's where he shined. That's where he would shine. And Conor made, well, he made his bones, his big splash, knocking out Jose Aldo. And, of course, here, a great comparison. Rogan and DC jumped right on in an attic. They showed the comparison of that, where that's exactly, obviously, how O'Malley made his bones the other night with Sterling. Because the style set up perfectly, just like stars lining up in the sky. The style's just set up perfectly for that. Aldo, he came in too hot against McGregor. Uh, you know, punching, reaching. Connor laid a trap on him, let him in with a step back, and gave him room to miss, create a hole. And what did Connor do? He filled it with a southpaw straight left hand, his power punch, with the back foot behind him. O'Malley did the exact same thing on the opposite side. You know, he filled it with a straight right hand from the orthodox position. Same thing. Like I said, opposite side. Maybe I like to touch on everything. We call ourselves the X-ray. The we try to be the the cat scan of this business and really get everything that the fans would want us to get. And I always try to, I take time to make notes, try to try to make sure we're going to satisfy as much as we can every nook and cranny that the fans might want us to explain or look under. And so one of them that I touch on real quick, that maybe a quick stop. I, I don't know. Um, maybe, but I don't know that it mattered. Obviously, he was hurt <laughs> bad, and one or two more hammer fists, you know, if they landed, if these reps don't do their job right, uh, you know, could do real damage. So it, it's hard to really say, but I know that it just had to feel that maybe a little – Second two, but again, you got to be a second too soon and a second too late in something this brutal, this this unforgiving. But what's not hard to say is that it was a it was a trap, beautifully set up, counter punch, and that the UFC wanted O'Malley to win. I'm not, I don't think I'm saying anything out of school here, you know, that anyone else can't figure out. But, um, again, they wanted O'Malley to win so that the torch could be passed from Conor McGregor to O'Malley. And I'm not saying McGregor's done. You know, he's still got a fight in him. Uh, he's got a tough fight, my God, coming up with Chandler. But if that fight happens... I don't know. It's supposed to happen. But O'Malley is there. He's there next, as I said earlier in the show. He's there next pay-per-view king. You know? And um, 
superstar, whatever you want to call it. He's a promoter's dream. And here's what I meant by it all started in the first round. A seemingly, you know, non-eventful round, right? Um, yet, for me, it led to the demise of Sterling and his title. Around, bear with me, folks. This, for me, is right on for me. I want you guys to tell me if you're with me on this. For me, it was around that no one was winning. Like I said, I joked earlier, you give it to the referee. Boring round. Because both were being careful and afraid to make a mistake. And, all, and for the right reason. They're not stupid. They know the dangers of where they are. And, and who they're with. And one mistake, what it can lead to. But then something happened. Ken, something happened that changed everything. Although, although no one no one really realized it at the time. Where Sterling with, I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds left, he went for a takedown. He got more aggressive. He finally, somebody started taking charge. It was him. And he went for a takedown. And he got inside on O'Malley, where we all understood that's where he needed to get if he's going to win. And he got inside without taking any damage. Almost easy, quite frankly. And right there was over. The fight was over. Because the round ended and went to Sterling, as I thought it did, and all the great, great MMA fighters that I was hanging around. One of them was Michael Chiesa. I said it right, right? Chiesa. Chiesa um, yep. Great guy. Yeah, great guy. Great, great warrior. Great commentator, to be honest. I was listening to him. He, he's, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's a good analyst. They all are. But he's, he's very good, too. And um, he could be a trainer. I'm telling you, the way he was breaking stuff down, I was listening to him. But he said to me, Soon as that round ended, he was sitting next to me. He said, I was standing next to me. He said, now Sterling will start getting to him the next round. Changing levels, getting inside. And Sterling thought the same thing. I realized that, matter of fact, so much so that he forgot what he knew before that and what he knew in training that you shouldn't be too aggressive with this freaking guy with the funny hair, you know, um, because that's what he needs. And it's exactly, it's exactly what he wants. Um, it's what he works off. Counterpunches need something to counter. That's it. Counterpunches need something to counter. They need someone aggressive, recklessly aggressive, better um and sterling gave him just what he needed and he had he had done a little of it in the beginning no one talked about it but in the beginning of the first round um and he didn't keep it up and i thought it was smart he didn't keep it up but he was striking a little sterling and he was reaching and i thought to myself wow and i was about to send a tweet but i didn't get a chance because the round took a different turn, and it went, he went for the takedown, so I had to change my tweet. I actually wrote it out, and I didn't send it. 
And what I had written out was he's he's doing a little reaching here. He hasn't paid a price, but he might pay a price later because O'Malley might be registering it in his computer upstairs, what I'm seeing, that he's reaching and he's missing a little bit. And O'Malley hasn't pulled the trigger on anything yet, but it might, but it's it's shown him that it could be there for. And sure enough, it was in his computer. It really was. And he stopped doing it. But like I said, you can see the possible opportunities. And then in the second round, again, Sterling forgot what you can't do with this guy. He, as you laid it out, he reached. He nakedly, he was nakedly aggressively, aggressive. You can't be nakedly aggressive with this kind of guy. And he looked for a big shot. You said a left hand. I think it was a left hand. You know, he was probably looking to put a right hand behind it. He never got there. But he reached in with the left hand, and that's all O'Malley needed, what he was looking for. I mean, you'll get a kick out of this analogy. It was, we got a lot of people out there that probably watch the Wild Kingdom. I don't know, those shows, those nature channels. I love them. I love them. And my grandson loves them. So, to me, it was like the lion in the Serengeti. <laughs> out, out, out in the field, you know, waiting for one of the gazelles or whatever they are, wildebeests, to make a mistake, right? And and just wait, waiting in the tall grass for one of the wildebeests to break from the pack. Just break from the pack, make a mistake, just for a second. Bam! That's it. And the wildebeest. No more wildebeest. Goodbye. Once they, they jump right on them and bang, it's it's over. You know, and the lion's on it before the wildebeest can change and get back. And to your point, it's almost like he knew it. Like he, he knew it, like, but there was nothing he could do at that point. It's over. One mistake. Uh, and the cage is like the jungle. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, life can be that way sometimes. It's like the Serengeti, um, where, you know, the cage in the ring, I say it all the time, it's unforgiving. Uh, I said before the fight that O'Malley reminded me of Adesanya, and he did. He did, and that's a great, great, great uh, accolade from anyone, from me, because Adesanya is special. The only thing I didn't know was, could he do it at these heights? Could he do it in this thin air? The thin air of the greats. The thin air of the title. The thin air on, of the mountaintop. That was the only question I had, because Adesanya showed he could. And, um, and he did. But he reminded me of Adesanya because of his athleticism. Like I said, being so fluid, where he creates his own music, you know, as I said earlier. Um, in boxing, I said he reminded me of Roy Jones Jr., uh, who had those kind of instincts and timing, uh, where, you know, he could just, he could just make things up. Uh, I, 
the special ones, they can they can sometimes break rules and get away with like pull away, and, but they know when. They know when to make that step. They know when to pull out because they have that kind of confidence, that kind of timing, those kind of eyes, that kind of calmness in an uncalm environment. And one other thing he's got. He's a skinny son of a son of a gun. He he is a skinny, long glass of water, and those wiry guys, they can punch. They can punch. Those wiry guys, they get talk. They get leverage in their freaking punches. Um, uh, there's a history of them in boxing. I jotted down a couple of them as I was coming over here, actually, from the cemetery. So I remember guys like Bob Foster, the great light heavyweight champion. Carlos Zarate, the great bantamweight champion. Oh, my goodness. So that thing looked like you, if you saw him on the street, Ken, you might give him $10 to get a sandwich. I mean, <laughs> really, no, really. I mean, he was that thing. Uh, Alexis Oguayo, uh you go way back to the 40s, I think, 40s, 30s, whatever, uh, for the historians out there, like Mike Silva, a uh, great historian in boxing. But for the real historians out there that follow the sport, you should get up to speed on some of these guys. You really should. They, they were special. But there was a guy named Lou Jenkins. Oh, skinny son of a gun. But man, he could punch. The old times would say he hit you on top of the head, Ken, and he would fracture your ankles. So, uh, Deontay Wilder, you know? I mean, I know he bumped himself up for one fight, but he's a he's a skinny, wiry guy. He was fighting heavyweight at, what, initially at, what, 212, whatever he was. Uh, wiry, thin guy, great puncher, great leverage. Tommy Hearns, you know, the, the, the Motor City hitman, Cobra, hitman. Um, you know, just he, he fits into that mold. He fits into that description of when you see these skinny guys. I used to take my fighters to South Florence, my amateurs. Tyson was one of them later on. Well, when I was up here in Catskill, and I needed to get them experience, I took them to the South Bronx, to Nelson Cuevas, my, my brother, my buddy. And he became like a brother. And he ran the Apollo Boxing Club on Westchester Avenue. Tough place, tough place. And a lot of my kids grew up down there. They really grew up and they grew up. They grew up in life by making those trips. And seeing another side of life on the trip down there, getting in there, you know, sharing a ring with all the Spanish and uh, African-American brothers that they were all fighting against with, but respecting at the end, respecting the journey they, they all went on. The journey to find out more about yourself. And you ever knew before. Really. And that's a hell of a journey. And when it's over, you have nothing but admiration and respect for the guy in front of you. I wish our freaking world leaders, I wish they could get in the ring. And we could do that because then, then they might actually understand what fighters understand. That 
you should have respect for everybody. And anybody who's willing to get in that octagon in that ring, they deserve respect. They, they, they are facing down all their inhibitions, and we all have them. All their doubts, all their dark places, all their fears, they're facing them down. They're willing to go in there and find out about themselves. Something that most people never find out and maybe never want to find out, quite frankly. I wish our world leaders could find out those things. They might be better leaders. But anyway, I used to take them down to the South Mounds, the Apollo Club. And I was very, I was like a father with these kids. And I had a great responsibility. I had to match the mic. And everybody was fibbing. I won't say lying. I just said it. But everybody was fibbing about the kind of experience that the different fighters had. You know, you learned the metric system of they, what they were using. If they said they had no fights, everyone was looking for an edge game. If they said they had no fights, they had three. If they said they had three, uh, nine, ten. If they did to say that they had five or six, maybe, you know, they might be turning closer. They, 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 might, they might have 20, 30, 40, God knows how many fights they would have. So you learn those things. You had to be, and you, and you had a great responsibility. I had to look out for these kids and make sure I didn't put them in the wrong match while they were developing. You could rule them, destroy their confidence. So I was very careful. I would watch them. I'd watch the way they shadow box. If I could get a chance to watch them in previous fights, I made notes. So I knew who was who. I knew who the good trainers were, who the not-so-good trainers were. <laughs> so I went by all of that, all of that. But then when it came, push came to shove, and I still wasn't sure, I went to look at them physically. And if they were a tall, skinny guy, nah, I won't take the fight. <laughs> if I wasn't sure the guy, and I wasn't sure my guy yet, and, and I had that little bit of doubt, that was it. That was that was like you know going to look at a car. You're gonna buy the car. You kick the tires. You look, and then you you look under the hood <laughs> to see. That was my way of looking under the hood. That at the end of the day, if there were tall, thin guys, and I again, I still had some reluctance. That did it for me. Nah, I'll pass on it. I'll wait. I'll watch them fight, and then I'll make a decision, the right one next week. But I'm not going to make a wrong one here. It's just the way it is. And O'Malley is one of those guys that if I didn't know him, if he was down in the Bronx as an amateur fighter, and he's a good enough striker to look like he could be a fighter. I know he's getting a little crazy saying he's going out Tank Davis. I get it. Everybody's, you know, we, we got to do the promotion thing. I get it. But you can see why he can say it. One, because he's, he's selling, you know, he's selling tickets. He's selling himself. Hey, it's the American way, baby. Everyone's doing it. And he's smart. He's very smart. But you can see where he can start to get thinking that, hey, I can get in the ring with some fighters. You know, I got those kind of skills. Um, he shows some of that. But at the end of the day, like I said, if he was one of those kids down in the Bronx and I looked at him as an opponent, and I had a fighter who I wasn't positive 
whether or not I wanted to take him as a fight, and I saw how skinny the freaking guy was, I would have passed. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're right. That's my breakdown of the night. Perfect. One quick thing before I forget, when you were talking about Lamos and Wei Li, she didn't have her in a guillotine, she had her in a cobra choke. I was spacing for a minute, but then I just remembered. That's what but then when she, for, my man. Well, the problem, the problem with that choke and same with going for a guillotine, like I've talked about before, when you go for a guillotine in training, you're going to get it most of the time if you go for it because the guy who's getting choked isn't willing to die in training. But she, when you go for that cobra choke, if you... To go for it, you have to give up position, and Waylee defended it perfectly, and then because she defended it, now Lamos... Close to being choked out. She was close, but she defended it perfectly. Problem for Lamos is when you go for that move, if the other person has flawless technique and, a, and an iron will like Waylee, now she gave up massive position. Now Waylee's in side control and beating the brakes off her again, where she had her somewhat in control in the, in the guard, but great transition. She needed time. You're right. Great transition, but she needed time to make that. And, you know, a lot of people aren't tough enough to, to last the time to make that transition. That's right. That's right. Like you would always say, you have to be calm in that uncommon environment. It's like watching a wrestler get choked. Unless you've got them like dead to rights, they ain't gonna, they're not going to tap. A wrestler won't tap from a choke. That's right. You can't panic. And... As we said, you have to have that great will and great resolve, great character, great spirit. And you just got to be willing to basically, and I, I'm always careful using this word because it can happen in, 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 my, my, in my world. It happens. Not a bit, but it does. And it can happen in the cage world. But you got to be willing to die. You gotta, you gotta have that attitude, that code of conduct, of that warrior's code, and she got around to the transition. But to my point, it takes time, and to get to that transition, a lot of, a lot of fighters would have given up before they got to it. They wouldn't have gotten there. You know, I love to use analogies from movies, so I gotta use one. I gotta make my son happy. I got to use one. Great one. Great movie. Man on fire. Great actor. Denzel Washington. I love him. And in that movie, where he says to the to the crooked freaking Mexican, I get like emotional. I get like, I take it personal. The crooked piece of garbage Mexican police chief that, that you know, betrayed uh, his, his honor. He had no honor. But to betrayed his post of looking out for people. Looking out for the, you know, the great people of Mexico. Looking out for the citizens, and he became, you know, he became a, a criminal where he was doing kidnapping, and he made one mistake. He kidnapped the wrong person, someone that Denzel Washington, his his character in the movie, loved, and Denzel Washington went after, him. and at the end he had him underneath the overpass and he had him in a very compromised position for the people that remember this movie they know what i'm talking about he had him spread eagle on a on the hood of a car with what's the name of that explosive but um uh what's the name of that explosive uh ken 
that that is that plastic. Yeah, plastic explosives, TNT. Yeah, he had one. He had some of that stuff where it's pliable, and he had it up his. Well, let's say it. We're talking about the movie. He had it up <laughs> his rectum, and he and he had a timer on it, and he told him, "You got three minutes, <laughs> whatever it was." So. As he's going, he goes, answer my questions. You got three minutes. And every time he wouldn't answer a question, he goes, two minutes, 30 seconds. All right? <laughs> and then he gets to the next question. And fi finally, the guy that wished that he had been more honorable, but it was too late, he says, time. He goes, what do you want? What do you want? He goes, I want time. He goes, you got no time. <laughs> you got no time. I'm sorry. Me, I got time. And I'm leaving. But you, you got no time. And that that sums it up. That sums this show up that to be a champion, you got to make time. You got to have time. You got to stick it out. When others give in, when others say that's enough, when others bail out, you got to stick because if you stick with it in a matter of time, you'll get there. That's what the champions believe. That's right. They get out of that, that, that crazy hole that you just described. What's the name of the hole? Cobra, a cobra choke. A co cobra choke. The Ken out cobra choke. <laughs> you get out of that cobra choke, but you have to believe and you got to stick it out through time. Well, Everyone out there, stick it out with time, whatever you're doing, stick it out. Don't give up too soon, and you will get there in time. You will get, I believe, you will get there in time. And speaking of time, I can hear the kids just got home, and I've got three minutes to believe to get to Cameron to his next training session. So we did perfectly. Beautiful, beautiful. And one thing. Yes. One wish, almighty superstar, Ken out. Yes. One wish. Thank you. I have my favorite, one of my favorite people in the whole world, not just you and Rob, uh, and my daughter and my grandchildren and my wife and my family and the great friends that I have around me. I'm so blessed. But one of those very, very special people is right here with me. My son, Teddy Atlas III. I'd like him to say hello to everybody. The greatest football scout in the world. Who's Get in here, Teddy. And, and <laughs> please, my buddy, I embarrass him, but that's okay. <laughs> that's what What's up, Teddy? I'll tell you, you're, hey. not, you're not too big to bend down hey. and sit on my lap. <laughs> when I was when, on my when lap, the people. Man. When the camera went on Johnny Damon, he was going crazy, and I was acting like a fool in the background. Every text said, you're embarrassing your son. Look how mad he is. And he was really mad. He's like, why are you doing that, Dad? And I say to Teddy, that's what we do as dads, embarrass our kids, whether they like it or not. So, Teddy, it's always great to see you. Teddy Sr., thank you for everything. I'm going to run now because I know you are busy, Godfather, and Cameron's got to go to jiu-jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> do what I'm going to do in a minute. Go tell your family I send my love. I definitely will. Thank you, everyone, for being with us. Please subscribe to the show. And, Teddy, enjoy the rest of the day. Our condolences to you and the family on the loss of Elaine's mom. We all love you and respect you, and I will see you next week for all the fans. And, Teddy, I'll talk to you later today. 